Here we go. Hello, Free Credit Repair Advice Group. Credit Life Coach Mark Brooks here on our new show, The Daily Credit Report. Uh, We're here talking mortgages, and I'm here with an awesome, awesome lender, Ashley Rios from Fairway Independent Mortgage. We're going to be talking about all the things that you need to know when it comes to getting a mortgage, um, credit cleanup, what the process is, and she's going to be answering some killer questions. So I guess dive right into it. Ashley, tell us about how you came into mortgages and maybe how long you've been doing it and some of that information that a client would ask. Yeah, I've been in um, the mortgage industry for about five years. Um, I started on the back end of it doing processing and then being a loan officer assistant. And then I decided I was missing a piece. I was missing that connection and dealing with people that I love so much. And um, before I came into the mortgage industry, I worked bartending and serving and training and opening restaurants for about 16 years. So I did a lot of um, connecting with people at my bar top and learning about people and building relationships with people and um, working on the back end of the mortgage industry. I didn't get to do that. So I decided to jump in with both feet and do the whole loan officer thing. And um, so I start. I went started at Caliber and then I went to Prime Lending and now I'm at Fairway, which I love. Um, and I love teaching people. I might, like I said, I worked in the restaurant business for about 16 years and I traveled the country and opened restaurants and trained. So one of the passions I have is just teaching people about mortgages and helping them through the process. And it's a big, scary, um, stressful thing. And I love the opportunity to work with people and help it be more of an enjoyable stress instead of a scary stress. So that's what I started doing. And it's been about uh, a little over a year now that I've been on the loan officer side and in originating. So love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ashley is absolutely killer. She has a heart for the clients, my heart for the people. And I had to have her on this podcast or video cast, whatever you want to call it. Um, we already have people giving a wave. Hello, Renee. Thank you so much for joining us. I started a watch party. She is over in the watch party. If you are looking for advice, um, we believe that everybody should have access to financial wellness, regardless of social or economic status. So you can join us in the free credit repair advice group. Something that we have created with awesome people like Ashley here is what we call the right way to real estate. This allows everyone at no cost to get teamed up with not only the best real estate team in your area so you can find your dream home, but also awesome professionals like Ashley who can help you get the best deal on that dream home. And we work together to help you navigate through that process and get into that without the pain and headache of trial and error. So thank you all so much for being here. As we go along, hello, Donna, thank you so much. She gives a wave. Be sure to ask questions. Ashley has a wealth of knowledge. We've talked in the past. I love the things that she does for people. So be sure to ask questions as we go along. I posted in the group earlier um, asking, hey, ask your questions. Uh, What lending questions do you have? So these are some of the answers that I got here. Um, Chris, he says, getting a score up and having hope to get a house next year. Any tips or steps on how to proceed with a VA loan? Ashley, I'll let you take that on. Yeah, VA loans. I actually love VA loans. Um, I think it's a great program and a great opportunity for people. Um, they are a little bit stricter on their guidelines than um, a lot in like a conventional loan. But as far as tips for a VA loan, some of the big things that people don't think about um, on VA is VA requires residual income. So making sure that they look at um, how not just how much money you make compared to your debt, your monthly debt, but also what are you being taxed on your paycheck? What are your monthly bills? And factoring that all in. So um, I think that's something to remember when you're when you're thinking about looking for a VA or doing a VA loan is making sure that you 
have that residual income that you can afford to pay your bills on top of your mortgage, which I think is a great thing that they do because we don't ever want to put something, somebody in something they can't afford. So if you can't pay your bills on top of your mortgage, we don't want to, we don't want to put you in that position, but that is one thing to be aware of. Um, as far as credit score goes, um, they are a little more lenient on credit score. Um, so what, but once you get up, you know, into the 620, even, you know, you can even do 580 on those government loans, but there's a lot of compensating factors. So the good thing about VA is um, your credit score does not heavily weigh on your interest rate, which is a really great, awesome thing because um, a lot of people run into that problem with their credit score is, yes, you may be able to get approved, but all oh, you have this really super high interest rate and which isn't, you know, is a waste of money if you're paying a high interest rate because it's going towards interest instead of your principal. Um, and so one thing I love about VA is they are not heavily weighed on your credit score. So as long as you have that qualifying credit score, you can get it up to a qualifying um, number, then you still can get a good interest rate. And I think that is a great thing. So as long as you can just get your credit score up to, you know, I, I say, you know, 620 is a good, because once you get below 620, they start looking at compensating factors, things like, um, how much money do you have in the bank? What is your debt to income? What is your loan to value? All these other things that have to line up in order for you to qualify at that lower credit score, but it's not impossible. So I would say if you are in that, like close to that number and you know, it's not, it's not, there's no hope. It's not that there's no hope. So um, you can definitely go below 620, but if you can get that credit up to 620 um, or above, you still get a great interest rate and you get yourself into a no down payment loan, which is, awesome because not a lot of people have that opportunity so love it great answer awesome to know thank you so much for that Ladonna, she says both my kids are in disability wanting to change my husband uh to their payee how long before buying a house do we need to do this is this something that needs to be done if he did become their payee it would add about 1500 to his income so i'm Ladonna, um correct me if i'm wrong but when you say adding is the payee is that like the in-home caretaker so he can collect some of the benefits for being that care provider, expand on that. Um, and Ashley, feel free to run on it with that. Um, ask any questions you have if you need clarifying questions as well. Yeah, that's a that's a touchy subject. So that would be one thing where I would definitely dig into the guidelines a little bit more. You don't see that a lot. Um, it, it is hard to use um, income from if you're taking care of somebody. So if you, I'm assuming that's what you mean um, is yep. having you're getting paid to take care of somebody on disability. So especially if it's your own kids, um, there's just a lot of gray area there. So that would be something that I could definitely like dig into the guidelines and, and look into. It's not, it's not that it's not possible, um, but every program, depending on if you're going government or you're going conventional um, loans have different guidelines and different rules on that. And some of them are based on, again, compensating factors, or you have to, you know, provide some kind of letter of explanation and it's under underwriter discretion. So um, those kind of, there's not a time frame um, necessarily, but it would be whether or not you can actually use that as qualifying income. Um, and that is just a situation based and um, underwriting discretion. So that's kind of a, that would be one that I'd have to dig in a little bit more. It's kind of have a, it, there's no black or white answer, you know, on that, that topic. And so. That's a good answer. Sometimes it's pretty case specific. So yeah. Ashley is one of those people who actually dives into the person in the situation of what's going on. You're more than just a number, and that's something where she could look into that and help find that. Um, I know Ladonna did follow up and say his income would be substantially less um, without it. So it sounds like he's bringing in about seventeen hundred, um, and then you know 
would be that being about 1700 they're making about 1500 right now so i'd probably put them over the three grand mark it's kind yeah. of what sounds like it's going on so that could certainly help the income yeah and it's a big difference and um so yeah that would be definitely case by case and something i could i would could, would love to dig in and find out more information if you would love if you want to reach out to me and i can um look through those guidelines and reach out to our resources and and kind of confirm what based on that scenario what would be um eligible for qualifying income and I love that oh sorry go ahead oh and just, and just um what if there would be any time restrictions but there's as far as time restrictions and how long you have to be that that probably wouldn't be so much um the case it would be more so just whether or not you could use that as qualifying income Awesome. And actually, that is a good segue in the, you know, normal world. Let's say I change jobs, something like that. No, Jared, I'm not leaving. Can't get rid of it that easy. But uh, <laughs> um, let's say I change jobs. I get a lot of questions about do I need to be a job for two years before I can get lending? How often does that happen? I know the guidelines and rules change a lot. What are yes, you experiencing with that? <laughs> I change all the time, which is one reason I'm always telling people, here's the information. But let me double check the guidelines before you, you know, it's not concrete because they're always changing and we are always learning because we we have so many programs, especially at Fairway, um, and everyone has different guidelines and some of and they're always changing. So um, but as far as just a general guideline for employment, um, you don't have to be at a job. I think that's a, a misconception. You don't have to be at a job for two years. You have to have a two year job history. So. Mm-hmm. It's not that you have to be at a certain specific job for two years. I mean, it, you have to have that history of two years of a job. Um, and again, it's going to, the, the rules and guidelines are based on what kind of job you have. So if we're talking about a generic W-2 salary employee, um, you're, it, they just have to have a two-year job history. And if they have a new job, say they've only been there a couple months, um, but it's a completely different job than they had been, done, been doing in the past, then the underwriter is going to, there's going to be a red flag where, okay, well, why are they changing job, you know, career paths? What, and it's not that it's not possible, but they're going to want an, an explanation. And then again, it becomes an underwriter discretion and um, digging a little bit deeper onto why are we changing career paths and, and determining what the qualifying income is based on that change. If you're in the same job, you know, maybe I work in the computer IT field and I just changed companies. It doesn't matter. And they're not even thinking twice about that because people change jobs all the time. They just right. want to know that you have um, a, a history of making income. So they know that you're not going to, it's not, you're not two months into working and who knows if you're going to make it, you know, they want to know that you've had, you have a history of working, whether it be with multiple different companies. Um, and if, you know, maybe you've had five jobs in the last few years, Again, it doesn't mean that it's not possible. It's just they're going to want more information. Absolutely. Something that can be explained away, benefits, better packages, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, they're, they, you got a better offer, or, you know, things, things come up, you know, or maybe you moved or whatever the case may be. Um, I do think that's a big misconception that people think this, they have this idea that, oh my God, I can't, um, I can't change my, you know, change my job. It's not that you can't do that. Obviously, you do not want to do that in the middle of a transaction. <laughs> Just tell you that right now. If you're in the middle of buying a house, do not change your job. But if you have a new job, you know, recently before you start looking for a home, um, it's definitely okay. It's just whether or not they might need more information and dig a little bit deeper on the the reasons and um, why you if you had five jobs, why did you have five jobs? And you know, kind of seeing that path and making sure that it's not that you got fired from every job because if you got fired from every job, then they're like, well, 
it's probably not going to, this is probably not going to continue for three years at this job. You know, like they're not going to continue to make income. So Absolutely. each situation and scenario is, it's a case by case thing. So. Uh, Carl asked great, great response to that. I like that. And this is the interesting thing. Uh, it, we've seen even in a year on our side and what we do, different pl people that we work with and things like that, things can change real quick. And, you know, a lot of the myths and things like that were once true that become not true or that do change and where right. maybe it's the same field. Maybe it's, you know, they just need to see two years consistent history because yeah. years ago, people didn't change jobs as much as they do now. We didn't yeah. have Indeed. We didn't have Craigslist to be able to just jump out of one job into another. So that's awesome yeah. information. Uh, Carl Smith, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, awesome guy. He uh, is a vet. Thanks so much for uh, serving this country. Yes, is VA United Home Loans good or is there better? Um, I'm not familiar with what that even is. Ashley, do you know? I'm, yeah, I'm not familiar with VA United Home Loans. Is that directly through the VA, I'm guessing? Um, I, I'm not familiar with that either. Um, uh, Carl, if you can expand on that, definitely feel free to do so. Um, and we will definitely get a kind of an answer for that. It's a good question, though. I wonder if that's kind of that direct that you're yeah. talking about. Um, as you're look, uh, letting us know about that, let me see here. There was another question I saw in here. Oh, okay, let's see. This is a good one. Amanda asked, are there any options available for people whose income is primarily tip-based, cash, servers? Um, if you cannot, the thing about income, what, what, whatever your income is, um, if you do not claim your income, you can't use your income. So that's what it comes down to. It's going to be, you can totally use tip income. I mean, that's definitely an option as long as you are claiming your tips. So that, because when it comes to lending, they want to see on paper what you can prove that you make. So if you're claiming, like I worked in, I bought my first house and I was where I was a server when I bought my first house and all, most majority of my money was tips. Cause that's what you make. And I actually had to take about six months before I bought my house and start making sure I claimed everything I made. Um, so I had that proof of income, but it's definitely an option. You can, of course, you can always buy a house on tip income as long as you claim that income. It's kind of the same thing as like self-employed. You look at self-employed people um, and if you're writing everything off on your taxes and then you provide your taxes and it says you don't make any money, even though you actually make money, they look at what's on the paper. So they can't just take our word, your word for it. They have to see proof of the income that you're making. And the only way to say have proof is to, to claim that money and show that you're making that money um, on your pay stubs or your taxes or wherever you're claiming it. So it is 100% an option for people that are tip based, just making sure that you're claiming that. Um, and then when you start looking at things like tips and um, bonuses and commission based income, they want to see a two year um, average. And Sometimes they'll allow one year, if it, depending on the scenario or the situation, but they have to have at least one year, ideally two years of that so that they can average it out and give you some income. So you can't just start claiming, you know, have no money and then all of a sudden three months of tips and say that's how much you make. Um, they're going to average that out over a 12 month or a two year period, depending on your situation. A good solid average. That totally makes sense. And that's what, yeah. a lot of what um, they want to see in lending um, when it comes to credit, when it comes to uh, income, is a solid history. It's all about a pattern. They're looking for the pattern. 
Do you have a pattern of on-time payments? Do you have a pattern of job history and making money? Um, and that's what it seems to be. That's a great, great question, though. Uh, here's another question. Uh, Carl actually did follow up. He said that he just saw ads for whatever that was. So um, I would say get with uh, a lender such as Ashley who can really kind of yeah. break that down. It sounds like that might have been a company who was just advertising. Yeah, I was thinking it might be a company. And we do VA loans. Actually, um, it's funny because Fairway is huge on, on uh, veterans and VA, and they do – that's like their um, big focus is just the military and supporting the military. So that's one thing I love about the company and I love doing VA loans. So if you have any questions, let me know, because that is definitely something that Fairway supports and we do and they do what they can to take care of the veterans. So. Love that. LaDonna well, asked, Ashley, how can I reach out to you? Uh, we have the right way to real estate program. And I know that uh, Ashley is uh, licensed in certain states and getting more. Yeah. Um, she also has a network of Fairway uh uh, what do you call it, professionals that she can connect us with. So through the right way to real estate program, we can connect with her to get you set up with the right people to get the help that you need as well. Um, so I thought I'd throw that out there. That's something that we do. And as part of the services of Credalife, and even if you're not a paid client, everyone that we help, we consider a client. So we can help you get to the right place. Let me see here. I had a comment from the watch party. Let's see here. Terry asked a great question. Said, "What percent do you need for down payment for FHA and conventional?" Yeah. So the minimum down payment you're looking at for a standard conventional loan, um, if you are a first-time home buyer, is three percent. So you can go as low as three percent for first-time home buyers. And when they say first-time home buyers, you don't actually have to be a first-time home buyer, which is a deceiving name. It's called a first-time home buyer program, but you don't actually have to be a first-time home buyer. You just can't have um, bought a home in the last three years. And then there's a other guidelines you have to have taken the first time home buyer class. And there's a couple other different um, things that you have to make sure you have completed. But if you fall within those guidelines and um, you meet the requirements, that would be 3%. But a standard conventional would be 5% down. Um, and then when you're looking at FHA, it's 3.5%. Wow. That's actually really killer. And um, one thing that I would say, and Ashley would probably agree with this, if you can hold out for the conventional, I know in certain situations we talked about this, if you're bidding against someone conventional versus FHA, conventional things just seem to slide through much easier. So you could have yeah. someone who's almost better qualified on the FHA side, but if you have somebody slide in with a conventional loan and you're on a bidding war, conventional is going to take it. Would you agree yeah. with that, Ashley? Um, I do agree with that. Yeah, I think it's it's really case by case. I actually, a lot of um, sellers do prefer conventional. I actually love the FHA program. I think it's a fantastic program because um, for a couple of reasons, especially people that are building their credit or have um, some kind of history of something that um, maybe they're trying to overcome as far as credit or foreclosures or things like that. Um, FHA is, is more lenient on that kind of stuff. Um, and they the rates are significantly lower as far as credit score goes like kind of similar to the va how i talked about earlier um you could have a 620 credit score or a 640 credit score and still get killer rate um now if you were to go conventional and you only had a 640 credit score your rate is going to be significantly higher um, than if you were fha so that's one of the things i like about it that um you can still get into a, a home loan at a decent or at a good um interest rate, even if you aren't like at that, you know, excellent credit score you know, that you're trying to reach. Um, so I like that about it. And um, it has, does have a little bit lower of down payment if you don't meet the first time home buyer. And so the, the downfall, I think, with FHA would be um, that they have no matter what you have that 
mortgage insurance. So in conventional, you're going to have mortgage insurance too. So if you put 5% down, you have mortgage insurance. Um, unless you put 20% down, you're going to have mortgage insurance. Either way, you have the mortgage insurance. Um, but FHA has an upfront mortgage insurance payment. So they take a percentage of your loan and they add that back into your financing. So that would be the downfall. And um, this is a lot of information. Sorry. It's good information. No, I was actually going to segue into that. You're perfect. Yeah. So the, as far as the, the mortgage insurance goes, um, again, with the credit score, I do like, so if you're going to be paying mortgage insurance either way, uh, the one thing about FHA is that your mortgage insurance is a percentage of your, of your loan amount. It doesn't matter what your credit score is or your debt to income or your loan to value. It's just a percentage of your loan amount. Um, when you go conventional, you're, you, we use a third party. So we use multiple different mortgage insurance companies and we go with the lowest one, but, um, your mortgage insurance is based on your credit score, your loan to value, your debt to income, all of these things determine what your mortgage insurance amount is. So if you have low credit, high loan to value, high debt to income, your your uh, mortgage insurance is going to be high. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot. So it really just is based on the person. I like to look at both programs and say, you know, and look at, you know, the mortgage insurance and all these different factors and see what is going to be the most beneficial for my borrower. Um, but I do think, like you said, if you're if you have the option to go conventional and still get a great rate and you're you can fall within that you definitely yeah conventional is going to be better and you're going to lose that mortgage insurance after um a certain amount of time versus fha where you don't ever lose it it always is there so um right. i mean and there's so, a lot of things that go into it so which makes sense and i think you said it perfectly does it make sense just because you can get yeah. into a conventional loan it may not make sense. You don't want just the yeah. title. Oh, I got my conventional loan, but I'm also paying higher interest, still paying the uh, private mortgage insurance is going to be more when I could have went FHA and that might have made more sense. And one yeah. thing too, like you said, you're going to carry on FHA, you're going to carry that uh, PMI through the term of the loan. And the only way to get out of that is to refi out of it, right? Uh, yeah, that be, and you need 20% equity or 20% down right? With the 20% yeah. equity count from 20% down. Perfect. So yep. in a situation, getting your FHA, wait a couple of years, maybe look at your, you know, um, where you're at, you know, what your, um, what can I think of it? Equity in the home is going to be. And mm -hmm. if you've got 20% equity or something like that, get the appraisal, refi into your conventional, you drop the PMI and you can do yeah. on from there. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time. I say it's because people have this bad perception of FHA and it's, even though you have um, like mortgage insurance for the life of the loan, most people aren't going to get their majority of people. They're not going to buy their first home and live in it forever. So even if you got a conventional loan, you're, I mean, if you say it's your first home, maybe you live in it five years, you're going to, and then you sell it or refinance it and buy something else or whatever you choose to do. Um, you're most likely not going to have that loan for the term of the, you're not gonna have that house for the term of the loan anyway, um, without refinancing or selling. So that unless you're planning on, purchasing a home and never refinancing it and never selling it, then there you'd be like, okay, well, obviously you don't want to have mortgage insurance for the life of a loan, but most people aren't, majority of people aren't doing that. So even if you have to start off, if you can get your foot in the door with an FHA loan, which is a great program and good interest rate. Um, and then once you get into a better position or you're ready to sell and buy something else, you can sell and or refinance or do whatever you need to do to get out of that FHA and into conventional. Like it. And can you have multiple FHA loans? I know that you said you have a three-year uh, gap in between when you can get an FHA loan. So yeah. I'm guessing multiple would be if you got 
a house in the spouse's name or friend's name or whatever, and they had to buy them two separate, you can't have two FHA loans on your one person's credit, can you? Well, you're, when you had to do an FHA, it has to be your primary home. Okay. So no so. type of investment. So you'd only get one at a time. That makes sense. All right. So uh, let's see here. Another great question. Do you have to have a bank account for a certain period of time in order to buy a house? That's a great question. Um, I've never really looked into that, but I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you have to have the only thing that you're going to run into an issue with is if you have a brand new bank account um, and you deposit a bunch of money into it, then they're going to want to know where that money came from. Um, so, but there's no, there's no restrictions or guidelines, you know, nothing in the guidelines about how long you have to have a bank account, but they just want to see where the funds came from. So usually you have to, you have to start a bank account with some kind of funds. So if it's a, if it's a big portion, they're going to say, they're going to want to see some kind of, um, paper trail of where those funds came from. Uh, this was a great question too. Uh, Lisa Garza, besides having a down payment, how much should I also have in my savings? That's a great question. That's a, I think a very um, big misconception or something people don't think about. They think, oh, I only need my down payment. Um, but you're always going to have closing costs. So closing costs are going to be made up of all your title fees, your um, lending fees, your taxes, your insurance. Um, and that's going to de depend on the property. But if you're looking at, I mean, a standard home, um, maybe it, it's that's a loaded question because it really depends on your property. So I would say maybe about, and it depends on the time, the time of year, because the amount of taxes they collect depends on the time of year. Um, but right now, like if I was, if you were to buy a home today um, and say you're purchasing like a $350,000 home, you're probably looking at about, depending on how high the taxes are on the property, maybe about $8,000 in closing costs and escrow and title fees and lending fees. So and that's, now who pays closing costs? Well, there's a portion that goes to the seller and there's a portion the the biggest portion is going to be the buyer. Um, but that's all always depends on the negotiation that you do with your seller. So a lot of people work in the seller paying the closing costs or receiving a, a seller credit from the seller to pay towards the closing costs. Um, so that just depends on your real estate agent and what kind of deals they work out for you. But majority of those closing costs are going to be um, allocated to the buyer. So. Makes sense. Awesome. And if you guys are just joining this, whether you guys are live here with us in the Free Credit Repair Advice Group, if you're watching this on another medium, I am with Ashley Rios. Uh, she is talking lending with us right now. We're talking about mortgage. Um, a lot of mortgage questions in here with Sauce. We have great interaction. So if you're watching this afterward, definitely comment, ask your questions. Um, we monitor these lives after they're done. If you're on the replay, feel free to reach out to us. She is part of our Right Way to Real Estate program. It's where we connect you with the best lending team and the best real estate teams. That way you not only find your dream home, but we get you the best deal on that dream home. Continuing on, for those who have just joined us, like I said, we are talking mortgages. So please ask your mortgage questions. I'm seeing an uptick in people uh, coming in, which is awesome. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us over in the watch party. Um, let's see here. Rhonda says, I was told by a lender here in Oklahoma to just pay off our collections and he could help us. Um, I'll kind of take that one. What do you think, Ashley? You want to kind of give your two cents and I can jump in right um, after? Kind of a general response for a lender to say. I mean, <laughs> right. it, it depends on what the collections are. I mean, there you don't you can have things in collections and still close on a home. I mean, it it depends on what the collections are. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of a hard question to answer because that's not necessarily true. I mean, you don't even I've I've closed loans for people that have 
collection accounts um, that they don't think twice, the underwriter doesn't look twice at. Now, if you're looking at um, like a mortgage late, things like that, that's going to be a big deal. And it depends on the program that you're going through. So whether it's FHA, VA, um, conventional, they all have different rules on collections and whether things need to be paid. It also depends on how much your collections are. So depending on the program, they may require you to, um, to add in a certain percentage of what you owe in collections as a paint, like your a monthly payment towards your debt. So say you owe like $5,000, they may, they may say it, it depends on the program. I have to look at the guidelines, but they say you have to say 10% of that is of you're making a 10% payment a month and they they'll add that back into your debt. Um, and, but if it's below a certain amount, they might not even care. Like if it's under a thousand dollars or $2,000, I think with FHA, they don't, they don't require you to pull it off um, or even add it into your debt. So you, that's not necessarily true that you that's have awesome. to do. Yeah. That's it, great this, information. And so and, many uh, are like case by case, which is hard. To, there's not really a general answer for anything. Um, so really for somebody to tell you that without actually having you apply and looking at your credit report and really like looking at your situation, um, it, it's just laziness that they're not, they're not really helping you because that's not, that's not necessarily true. And the truth will set you free. I have to say, we are not the only people that do this. We, yeah. <laughs> us here in credit, we tell people all the time, hey, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Let's look at your credit yeah. report. I need more information. And some people are like, you're just trying to sell us. Yeah, I'm trying to sell you on the fact that we, we have to dive in deeper to give you an actual answer. You know, one of the things that we always say is we're not attorneys. You know, I can only give you information based on what we can tell the masses. And so we're not the only people who do this. So if you guys are watching, yeah. you're going to run into this with lenders. Get used to talking to people. Yes. <laughs> where people are like yeah well i was told the rates are this and i'm like mm, did they ask you an information about yourself or well no they just said that they could give me this rate and i'm like nobody can say that i mean unless there, there's so many things that go into your interest rate i mean you could never just tell somebody what an interest rate is unless you see all of their you know information and their credit and all the factors that go into determining that rate I mean, you can tell them a general idea of like best case scenario. And, um, but until you actually see somebody's information, everybody's situation is different and everybody is going to be affected differently based on their, um, you know, credit report and debt to income and all these things that are going to affect the rate. And I love it. That's exactly what it is. You have to be willing to talk to people, dive in deeper to get the information that you need. And we don't have all that information that people ask us all the time. Well, how soon can you get me to a 700 credit score? Well, shoot, if you're at a 745, probably tomorrow. You know? yeah. But if you're, if you're uh, sitting in the 400s, it's going to take a bit. So we sometimes yeah. need more information. Um, so I just love that. And I had to jump in there and say, we're not the only people who have to ask yeah, for information. No. So you got to talk to people. You got to dive in a bit deeper. Um, let's see here. Another question here. Um, is there a program out there for teachers to help with closing costs? Um, I don't think we have a pro. I mean, I know we all the companies I've worked at, we have like ones for doctors in um, the medical field and then sometimes for um, like police officers and stuff. But I haven't seen one for teachers. Um, that's a good question. I'd have to look more into that. I haven't been asked that before. And I not that I know of. I haven't I don't know of one. But again, there are so many programs out there. Um, there could be one that I don't know about that does. Absolutely. Yeah, as you dive in and talk to your professional resource somebody yeah. can come out with something and i want to get into people ask us all the time 
you know, uh, down payments, but also down payment assistance and grants. Can we get to that a little bit? And I know those are pretty regional. Ashley and myself are out of Oregon. Um, there's different grants uh, regionally and locally. And I know, um, you know, in about five counties over, um, they've got completely different grants, whether you're in the city, whether you're out in the country. So maybe dive into that just a little bit and what you've kind of seen with some of those grants and how those work, because that's been something people have been asking about. Yeah, um, like you said, there are so many uh, different, D uh, we call them DPA, down payment assistant programs. Um, and they are case like uh, city by city. It depends on like they have like a Portland one, but you have to live literally in the city of Portland, not Portland Metro, but you have to have a Portland address. Um, there's bonds, depending on what state you live in. There's so many different and they all have completely different guidelines, completely different rules. So it's kind of a, um, I mean, there's hundreds of them. They are, I would say that I, I love the idea of down payment assistance program because we all need, I mean, there's so many, I, when I bought my first house, I didn't pay a down payment, but um, back then they, they had those options. Now they don't have as many of those options. They do have those down payment, down payment assistant programs, um, but they have to work usually in conjunction with certain, certain um, either FHA or conventional certain loan programs. And then they have a whole another set of guidelines and um, credit requirements and debt to income requirements. And um, so I'm not really sure what how much information I can really give you on that because there's so okay. every single one is so different. And they, like I said, they only um, they all have different counties that you have to live in and different amounts that they'll offer. And a lot of those down payment assistants only have a certain amount of money to, to allocate. So sometimes you'll have these down payment assistance programs and then they go away because they no longer have any money. Um, to and then when they do get more money, they come back. So um, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird, weird uh, area. So it's now, are down payment different. assistance to grants kind of the same thing? Do you have to pay them back? Where do they come from? Sorry, my babysitter's here. Um, uh, again, it is. It, it depends on the program. So, for instance, they have um, Shinoa, which is Shinoa is um, a down payment assistance program. It works with in conjunction with FHA, and that is um, something that they have. Like they have two separate sections. Oh, sorry, they have two separate sections, and they have one that uh, has a forgiveness is down payment assistance, but it was, it's forgivable. And then they have one that's not. So there's just it depends on the program whether or not they have um, you have to pay it back or not. And sometimes it depends on how long you live in the house. So you know there's different requirements. If you live in the house for this long, they'll pay back this percentage or they'll pay back all of it. Some of them, you don't have to make a payment for a certain amount of years. And if, if you've lived in it that long, then they'll, they'll, it's forgivable. Um, some of them you make payments starting from the beginning. So it really depends on the down payment assistant program. Like it. So this is the question. Rick and I, um, another coach is absolutely awesome. We were talking about old money, some of the older generation of money to where, you know, I've got a client who has a home, well, a home and property worth about a million dollars, they're only looking to get about $250,000 out of that um, just to help parents with end of life type stuff and getting them set yeah. up. Um, you know, in those situations, they've got the money or the equity, but they don't have the credit. Um, in, you know, a situation where it's primarily cash-based or, you know, they have some of those type of situations, what can you do for people who are in that situation, I guess, um, who might have the money but don't have the credit to back it? Is there something that where you were talking about different factors such as having equity can yeah. change that for them? How do you kind of see that working? Um, I think 
Unfortunately, credit is huge. So um, there, there, a lot of times if you don't have a qualifying credit score, you there's nothing that you can do except to work on building your credit. So all these programs are going to are, are very um, it's like a hard yes or no based on your credit score. So it, and there there is, like I said, there's sit, for instance, we say FHA has a 580 minimum credit score. And I talk about those comp compensating factors. So if you have anywhere from a 580 to like a 620, you have to have some kind of compensating factors as far as having, um, you know, extra in like money in the bank or, you know, all these different things that will help get you uh, um, to qualify at that lower credit score. If you do not meet that minimum credit score, though, it doesn't matter what equity you have or what money you have or anything. There is a minimum credit score. Um, so it's hard to get around that unless you were to go through like a hard money lender or something where they don't care about any of that. So, I mean, I feel like there's not really a, a, good, a good a right answer, I guess, for that, because if you don't have the credit, it, you have to build your credit. I think that's really the big thing it comes down to. And for those who don't know about hard money, do you recommend do you recommend that? What is that for the people? Because that doesn't usually come up very much unless you're investing, flipping homes. That's where yeah. hard money usually comes into play. Is it common for the common person, maybe in that situation or in a credit situation, that has the extra income? Um, I we I don't deal with a lot of people that are coming from hard money lenders, but we do deal with a few, and that's it's more so for somebody who um, I guess. For people that don't know what like a hard money lender is, it's going to be for somebody who can't qualify for a regular loan. And it's basically you're going to a private like person who invests money into other to help people, you know, purchase a home. And then you're basically paying interest only until usually those usually those contracts will say, let's for instance, we'll say you have to have it. You have to refinance out of this within three years or whatever. They'll have some kind of um, expiration date on that contract. And they and until then, you're paying an interest only. So it's not ideal for the average person because you're paying just interest towards somebody to borrow money from them. Um, mm -hmm. But if it's, if you can't get into a home and you really want to, I mean, I think, I think it's a great option if you, if it's your last option, if that makes the sense. The only option. Yeah. yeah. Kind of when you're pressed and don't have the time. Yeah, the because it's, it's nice to have that option to, to find those hard money lenders of people who are willing to um, invest in you and, and trust that you're going to, pay their money back so you can at least get get your foot in the door into a home and then as you build that equity and you build your credit and everything then um you can refinance out of it and get into an, a, a standard loan now here's the crazy thing when we talk about you know the difference between a 620 and a 640 that can be two to four months mm -hmm. you know a 580 and a 650 can be you know the same two to six two to nine months so in reality um one of the best things you can do is actually just work on your credit, have a bit of patience. And if you're backed against the wall and you're getting kicked out or whatever, and if you're getting kicked out, most likely they didn't pay your rent or whatever. But yeah. in reality, let's say they're putting your home up for sale or something like that. And it's a fast sale, cash sale. Maybe that's something where you look at that. But in reality, even going from FHA to conventional can be the difference between just going for or working on your credit for six, Absolutely. eight months. Yeah. Getting into a much better position, getting that score yeah. above the threshold, then mm -hmm. you walk in with no PMI and things like that. So we always suggest yeah. building the credit out first. Some of the stuff we've talked about are outliers and, you know, not the norm. Most people have, and I believe you guys would agree with this, most people have the norm of, yes, I do have some time. I know when my lease is going to end. 90% of my clients come in saying, hey, um, you know, my lease is going to end in six months. I'm getting started. I always say give yourself a year. You never know yeah. what's going to happen. Um, give yourself 
extra time. That way you're not pressed. That way you're not making crazy decisions. That way you're not applying for things you don't need to apply just out of the peer pressure of, oh, yeah. I have to get this done. Um, well, I think it also, of, oh, oh, sorry. I think also um, understanding like why your credit score is where it's at is, is really important. And because I think that some people don't understand how most people don't understand, as you know, because you're in the credit field, understand why their credit score is where it is and what is truly affecting their credit score and causing it to be where it's at. Because sometimes it's not, it's, it can be simple. Sometimes it can be something as simple as paying down your, you know, your balance and all of a sudden your credit shoots up 50 points because you had your credit card maxed out and now it's, you know, down to that bottom 10% or whatever, you know, and those simple adjustments can really affect your credit. And I don't think people realize that. Um, so that's just really knowing and working with somebody like you who knows credit and can sit there and, and show you what is causing your credit to be where it's at and how can you increase it? Because sometimes people are, will do things like maybe pay something off or whatever it may be that actually doesn't really affect their credit. Like it doesn't really increase their credit at all. So okay. knowing the right route to get your credit score up and to get to where you want to be is really important. I agree with that. And that's so true. Uh, back to that comment of, hey, my lender just told me to pay everything off. A lot of times that can have a negative effect on your credit. Yeah. It's like, I Especially say if it's, it's like, like in uh, collections or mm -hmm. uh, charge off, like a charge off, you pay a charge off off. Yeah. It can hurt. Absolutely. And charge off is a tough code. It's the one that hits you every month. Mm -hmm. So Sometimes you have to stop the bleeding on what that charge off is doing to your credit. So you sometimes yeah. have to pay it off. Having yeah. people like myself, having people like Ashley to help you navigate that. If someone literally, and I, you said this earlier, if somebody just says, oh, pay your stuff off, you'll be fine. They don't care about you. They don't like you. Yeah. You know, I say it's like a barber. He doesn't use a razor to line me up. He doesn't like me. Yeah. You know, yeah. if he's not willing to do his job. He doesn't like you. And that's what it comes right. down to. So this is where people like Ashley are people, Just like you are. We're, you know, your job and my job, we're investing in people and building connections and relationships with these people and, and learning about their lives. And our goal is to help people. And if you don't know somebody's history and know somebody's like full picture, it, how are you supposed to help them? You know? Absolutely. Now, uh, Don did ask another question. She said married couples advantages, disadvantage of only having one spouse apply. Um, there's not really, it, it just depends on the people. So there's not really a, an advantage or disadvantage specifically for two, a married couple applying. It's going to come down to um, things like when you have two people apply, whether they're married or whatever, if you have two people on a loan, it, you're going to use the lower of the two credit scores. So um, the lower of, we look at, so you have three credit scores, um, three bureaus. We take the mid score, so the middle score. And if you have two people on a loan, you're taking the lowest of the middle scores. So if you have a married couple and one person has really bad credit, that's going to negatively affect you. Um, and the advantage would be if, say, you both have great credit, obviously, if you're both on the loan or you can use both of your income, that's going to help you a lot. Um, if, if you don't need somebody's income and they have bad credit, don't put them on the loan because you can always put somebody on title. You can have somebody on title. You're both still going to own the house. You're just not using them to qualify for the home loan. So it would really just depend on the each individual's um, income and credit and things like that and whether or not it would be a benefit to have them both on there or not. So, I mean, I think ideally long, if you both have great credit, it's only going to benefit you to have you both on there because you're going to use both your income. Um, but unless one person has a ton of debt, then you go back to that, you know, so it's really, again, we go, I keep saying this, it's case by case. So it's really looking at 
the people and the individuals and their credit and their credit score and their income and saying, is it worth having both of you on there? Is it benefiting you? If not, you have make it so it's the best and the most the most beneficial for them both and then have them both on title. So whether that be just one person on the loan, both people on loan, and you can always have both people on title. And I love that you said that because a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people believe that if their husband, wife, spouse, best friend, whatever is not on the loan, that they will not, that they can't be added to title. Some people don't even know the difference. So if something happens to you and obviously your husband, spouse, whatever is on the title, that house is partially owned by them, even though they're not making the payment. So um, that's something that people don't realize. Yes, you can go out of yourself or have your husband go out of themselves to make sure you're on title, whatever it is. Uh, yep. husband, wife, spouse situation. Um, you could add pretty much anybody on title, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, we do it typically I'm at dirt in the process. We'll just put them on title. But even if you didn't you just say you just put, you know, got a loan by yourself and only had you on title, you can always go to a title company and add somebody after the fact as well. Awesome. Uh, let's see. James asked a question. Uh, it's not too long to put up on screen, but uh, should a first-time home buyer with credit challenges start at a lower-priced home um, to build uh, real estate credit, then possibly five years go bigger? Does the amount really affect? Like, obviously, yes, you can get approved for higher lending, but I guess where would the threshold kind of be on that? Would you say? And that's probably a case-by-case question. <laughs> yeah, but you know, your credit score really doesn't have anything to do with but it has to do with your rate. But as far as like how much you um, are approved for is going to depend on your income and your debt. So, and then obviously your credit's going to affect your rate. So your interest rate's going to affect your payment, which is also going to in turn affect your debt to income amount. Um, So it all kind of combines. But if you're just talking about like, how much can I qualify for? Well, that's going to be based on how much money you make and how much debt you have each month. Um, So I mean, I believe for me, if you're a first time home buyer, you should be getting in something that you maybe something smaller and something you can know you can afford um, and build from there. I think a big mistake a lot of people do is um, they want to get this like awesome, amazing home, their first house. And they have all this like list of a, a million things that they they have to have, you know, and all of a sudden this house they're trying to get in is like way outside their budget. And just because you qualify for something when we look at qualifying income, we're looking at pre-tax before you take any kind of retirement, insurance, anything out. So just because you qualify doesn't mean it's not outside your budget of what you can afford once you get that paycheck. And that's not for me to determine, but that would just be my best advice for people is as you're looking for a home, just because you qualify for something, stop and think about what you actually can afford. Can you afford that a payment and your bills and everything after that? Because like I said, we look at the income before anything is taken out. Um, and a lot of people, a ch- giant chunk of their income goes to their retirement and insurance. So they're not actually making that much money after all that stuff comes out. So we want you to be able to pay your mortgage and still be able to pay your bills. So that well, would be- If you guys are looking at the gross, we have to figure out if the net makes sense to live off of. Yep. And then something that I'll bring up too, your rent payment is not counted against you, right? Right unless it's super low. So if you're going from $800 of rent and your mortgage is going to be 1500 or 2500, you're looking at a difference. But if some of a lot of people here are lopsided and paying, you know, maybe 1500 rent and they're, let's say their mortgage is 1200, that might be more Midwest than here, but uh, that could almost work in your favor, right? Yeah. So really your rent doesn't, what you're paying in rent as you're going to look to buy um, doesn't really matter is 
if you're in a standard loan. When you start looking at things like USDA um, and different, some of those down payment assistance programs and things like that, they do have payment shock. So they say you can't, you know, for instance, say 20%, like they have 20% payment shock. That mean you're, meaning your mortgage can't be more than 20% higher than what your current rent is. So in that case, it could negatively affect you if you have a really low rent now and then you're going, trying to get this big mortgage, um, they won't approve it. So, but most of them, like a conventional loan, things like that, they don't, they're not worried about what your rent is. And LaDonna did ask great information. LaDonna did ask, can you give some more info on USDA loans? I always think of a steak when I hear USDA. So yeah. maybe you can <laughs> give some more insight to people. Yeah, USDA is, um, it's a, a program that I, I like because I think it's a great opportunity for people to get into a home um, without putting money down. It is a very strict to get into. So it is, it's kind of, you have to like have all the stars align, if that makes sense. Um, it's kind of one of those things where they say, okay, so when we look at like debt to income, for instance, FHA, like I said before, they're very lenient. So you're looking at, um, they're lenient with their credit scores, they're lenient for the debt to income. You can get that debt to income sometimes up to like 57%, you know, up there. Um, and it just depends. It, it depends on the person, it depends on the scenario and all the information. Um, but when you're looking at USDA, they're at like 41%. And they're very like, this is what it is. You can't go past this. We don't care the reason. You know, they're very strict. Um, they also have that residual income, just like VA. So they're saying, okay, do you have that additional income? And um, they have that high, they have a high um, or a low debt to income, but they have an income limit. So it's like, you can't make a certain amount of money, but you also can't have high debt to income. So it's Start this weird, yeah, it's like, so it's kind of this weird situation. You kind of have to be like in the right um, situation to really qualify for it. It is a great program. And again, it's um, it's only in certain areas. So in those areas are not like specific to a city. It's specific to, you have to literally look up, like you could send me your address and I'd put it in and see, because we could both, I live in Oregon city. Um, I could have one house in Oregon city that's like on the outskirts that, that falls within USDA and another one that doesn't. Um, so it just, it's just house by house determining whether it falls within that USDA guidelines. That makes sense. Uh, good info. And uh, last but not least, or we'll probably kind of wrap up with this one. Um, I see a new comment came in the watch party. So we got room for a couple more. Are you all right? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So Missy, she says, what does a credit profile for a mortgage application look like? I have student loans and some collections. So I guess kind of the ideal, obviously, you know, we're, uh, 800 credit score and a perfect profile is what you want. But I guess what's the ideal kind of the average, you know, people are going to get approved with when it comes to maybe the account types or links of credit, things like that student loan situations that you might have run into. Um, are, are you asking like, what is the ideal credit score? Or what is more of a more of what do they have on their credit more of the profile, I guess? Yeah, I don't it doesn't necessarily really matter what you have on your credit. Um, it matters if you have delinquencies on your credit, um, if you have late payments on your credit, if you have judgments on your credit, it doesn't necessarily matter as far as like the lines of credit, what they are is as far as installment loans or um, school loans or revolving loans. Um, when it comes to that kind of stuff, it just is a matter of your debt to income. They're, they're not necessarily looking and saying, oh, well, you have all these school loans and that's not okay. Or, um, and again, I think we talked a little bit about this before, but as far as collections, that's going to depend on the program and how much your collections are. It's not necessarily, oh, you have collections, so you can't get approved. People get home loans all the time that have collections. Um, it just depends on, you know, how much are those collections? What program are you trying to use? 
and whether or not they're going to require you to pay them down, pay them off, um, or just include part of it as a payment toward your debt. But there is no one set like ideal. I mean, if you don't have any kind of delinquencies, judgments, things like that on your credit, um, and you just have some collections and school loans, I mean, that's pretty common. Honestly, it's not, it's not uncommon. Um, and a lot of people get approved and get home loans with those kind of things and student mm -hmm. loans. That's, I mean, everybody, everybody has student loans nowadays. So that's right. very normal. That is so normal. I think I'd say it'd be safe to say that 85, 90% of our clients do have student loans ranging. Yeah. In. I've had clients yeah. payment this thousand bucks. Other clients have my client who has the largest amount is about 600 grand. And yeah. uh, student loans is absolutely like, whoa, 600 grand? Yeah, like, it's pretty crazy. But <laughs> in, it depends on like the program. Like when you're looking at student loans, if you have them all deferred, and depending on which program you're using, they're going to probably require you to, or they require us to hit you with a certain percentage of that as, as a payment each month. Um, That's so a that good one. Debt to income. A lot right. of people don't realize that too. And I brought that up in coaching and such. Um, yeah. Tell them, I guess, a bit more about because is it the is it still the one percent rule or did they change? Yeah, that? typically it's one percent, but it it again it depends on the program and it depends on a couple different factors. But the the standard would be at one percent of whatever the balance is is what they're going to hit you for on your for a payment. Right on. Um, awesome. Hey, I got a good one. Uh, Denise, uh, she says. LaDonna Armstrong, I signed up with Mark yesterday. Thank you for recommending him. I uh, yeah. love my clients. I have the best clients. I mean, I, I know I could say that for a lot of coaches, and they probably do, but my clients absolutely kill it. They're amazing people, and I feel blessed to work for them uh, and watch them reach their goals. Really neat. We just had a client get approved for a home, so absolutely love it. Um, if you guys are just joining us, watching this in the replay, I'm on with Ashley Rios with Fairway Mortgage. We are talking about the right way to real estate. Um, we've talked about everything from down payments to interest rates to all types of stuff. I think the thing that we can take away from this is get your credit right. Yeah, credit <laughs> is huge. With, work with someone great like Ashley who can really help you navigate this process. So much of this that we do is just about the knowledge. So work yeah. with somebody who actually cares, um, someone who can help you navigate those waters. Ashley, any uh, tips, tricks, last minute, you know, kind of leave them with something that uh, they should take with them as they go on. Um, I would say, well, we already said this, but credit is huge. So really just being aware of your credit and um, knowing the right path to get to where you want to be. Um, but besides that, I would say that I think a lot of people just assume that they're that they don't qualify for a house or can't get into something. And they just it's a very overwhelming kind of a hopeless feeling when you have any kind of negative things or you know stuff going on. And I would just say that um, reach out to somebody, reach out to me or somebody in your in within your state or you know, whoever it may be and get the knowledge and, and apply or see where you're at and, and have, I tell people all the time, I say, actually, it's usually the people that think that they have no chance of buying a house are usually the easiest ones. I'm like, so, Oh no, you qualify. You're good. Like, what are you worried about? And it's the people that are like, Oh, I'm a shoe in. I'm a, I got, I like, I am an easy client. And you're like, you don't qualify. Like, you know, so it, you're never going to know unless you really like, kind of like dig in and um, apply once you see, and then somebody, you know, whether it be, Say, for instance, if, if you came into me and I always tell people, I say, just apply and see where you're at. Because once you see where you're at, then you then you can make a plan for yourself and have a goal and set a time frame. And like, you know, know how, what you need to do to get to where you want to be. If you don't know, if you don't have the knowledge or you don't know where you're at, you're never going to be able to set a plan for yourself. So I would say to if you feel like you are, that's something you want to do is buy a house or um, reach out to Mark and reach out to a, me or another lender and 
say, what do I need to do to get to where I want to be and set a plan for yourself? Because it's not, it's not impossible. It's just a matter of knowing where you're at, knowing how to get to where you want to be and making a plan to get there. And I think that if people do that, like you'd be surprised on how easy it is to actually get into a home once you start working through your plan. Love it. Actually, that's awesome. And it's really, she said it perfectly, dive in deeper. For my clients, don't apply for anything right now. But yeah. <laughs> the nice don't part is, is anything, but... yeah, don't do anything right now. Just don't yeah. breathe unless you're told to. Uh, yeah. One of the things I love about this right way to real estate program is people come in, you know, Ashley gets a lot of uh, people from all different walks of life, backgrounds and things like that. Um, so with them, she, they, she has to, you know, apply. Then I can tell you really what's going on. What's neat for us and how Ashley and I are able to work back together is I have your smart credit report. Mm -hmm. I know what's on your smart credit report. I know all 27 different aspects of every account. So I can send that to her. She can get an idea and say, yeah, this person probably looks good enough to apply before actually taking the hit. Right. Which is really neat. And this is one yeah, of the reasons why we provide this service. Go ahead. Yeah. Like we talked about is credit. I mean, credit, if I could say the most important thing when you're looking to buy a house is credit. So that's why, you know, it's huge to start with somebody like Mark um, who can really look at your credit and guide you through it and know and tell you how to get your credit up and get to where you want to be. So that is, I mean, it's always going to be, like I said before, there is no um, gray area for that minimum credit score in these different programs. If your credit's not there, it's not there. And, and there's nothing, I, I have no control over it. So it's, you know, it's the government or, you know, the conventional loans, those are the guidelines. And if you if you want to get into a home, you I mean, credit is number one. So starting there is always the best the best place. Absolutely. And that's what it is. Make a plan for yourself. So if you're wondering whether you can uh, get into a home instead of taking the hit uh, right away, Ashley said it's about awareness. It's about having an understanding. Sometimes the only way to get that understanding is to apply. Luckily for all of you in this group, everybody watching this video, you can actually reach out to me and say, hey, where am yeah. I at in this? Um, and then I can send it off to Ashley. One thing that I love and can already tell is most, um, you know, many, many, I guess I could say many lenders will, you know, if you don't have the credit, don't apply, you know, you need pre-approvals, all this type of stuff. And she's like saying, hey, I will help you um, get started. And the nice part is through the Right Way to Real Estate program, we work with all of our people. We can get them an idea of where to be. We know about the scoring. Ashley and I communicate back and forth on, you know, just like information like this. Oh, this is probably where they want to be. Give it a couple months, get them above yeah. the score. This is a red flag that I see on their report. Mm -hmm. If they get that taken care of, however you guys do it with your methodology, send them back yeah. to me and we work together to make sure you guys get through without any pain and headaches. So Ashley, right. I want to thank you so much for being on with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. We will definitely have her on again. Free Credit Repair Advice Group, once again, Credit Coach Mark here. If you have any questions, feel free to join us in the Free Credit Repair Advice Group. If you're not in here already, if you want to book a call, if you're wondering where you're at credit-wise, we're happy to take the time and make that happen. You can go to bookcoachmark.com. If you're wondering how to get in touch with an awesome professional like Ashley, feel free to go to bookcoachmark.com. I can connect you with it with her. Um, she is licensed in only so many states and gaining more licenses. So it might be something where we connect you with somebody within that network, but we're going to make sure you get taken care of. Ashley, thank you so much for being on here. Free Credit Repair Advice Group. Have an amazing night and we will talk to you soon. Bye.